We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today to Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. You've found me at my little corner of the internet. I'm so glad you guys have joined me today. I've got a special treat for you on this Wednesday, the 24th of March. You guys, look at you. You're doing it. You're making your way through two weeks to flatten the curve and the one-year anniversary and all the things. And today, I've got an awesome new friend on the show with me. You guys are going to be so encouraged. Pastor Alan Jackson is here, and we're going to talk about how to take the salt out of the salt shaker and into the world. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. All right, you guys. So a couple things you need to know before I jump into my interview, and you're going to be so encouraged. So grab your husband, grab your kids and sit around because I know that Alan Jackson is just going to encourage you and bless you. This is a guy who's actually doing the thing, getting off the bench and onto the battlefield. You guys know that that has been the theme here for the last eight years. And uh, I love talking to men and women of God who are doing exactly what the Bible says to do, which is to be the salt and the light that the world so desperately needs right now. And speaking of salt and light tonight, I'm going to fly into Little Rock, Arkansas and make my way to Rogers for the Teach Them Diligently convention, which is being held in Rogers, Arkansas, starting tomorrow. And so if you guys are around, come on out and say hello. I would love to just hug your neck and see what God's doing in your life. So check that out. I will be at the Teach Them Diligently event this weekend, the 24th through the 27th in Rogers, Arkansas. After that, I'm going to be at the People's Church in Salem, Oregon on the 9th and 10th of April. So I hope you guys will come out. If you want more information about where I will be for this speaking season, please go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash events. All right, you guys, I am excited to introduce you to a new friend here to the show. Alan Jackson is here on the show with me today, and he has an awesome new book out called God Bless America, A Prophetic Perspective. And you guys are going to be so encouraged. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Heidi. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you here. I am so encouraged as I read your biography and hear what God's doing in your life and really the burden that he is put on you to talk to people about what's happening in the culture today is just evident. It's just bubbling right out of you. What is the thing that motivated you to write God Bless America again? Well, it's so apparent with just a casual glance of American history that there's no explanation for our nation apart from God's mercy and grace and his intervention on our behalf. But we're in a place where we need that revisited. We can't simply tell the stories of our grandparents or our great-grandparents or even our founders. We need a visit from God in this generation. And the good news, he's done it so repeatedly that we can have an anticipation if we'll just turn our hearts to him. 
Mm, it's true. And when you talk to people that are in the country right now, and like you, I travel around the country and have been blessed to talk to Christians all across this great nation. But I have seen a lot of just discouragement right now. I hear a lot of people say, hey, you know, we're losing our country. We're never going to have the United States back again, that our founders died for us, many of them, and that people went to battle for to secure the freedoms that we have. And I've always felt like, no, 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 this isn't a time for us to shrink back and, and give up and be discouraged. This is a time for us to get off the bench and engage in the battle. How are you feeling as you're talking to people? Well, I agree. I, I too, feel, you know, a lot of people have that sense of despair. A lot of them are still isolated. The harshest form of punishment that we have for our most egregious offenders is isolation. And we put our country in isolation. So I'm not surprised that the outcome of that is despair. But behind it all, I think God is moving. You know, as much as I want to blame Dr. Fauci and I want to blame Dr. Fauci. Uh, yeah, I, I we don't call, really think, uh, here at the show, we call him Father Fauci. That'll work. <laughs> Should we genuflect? But it's, <laughs> and I don't think he is the, it, it, I think God has shaken the church. We were asleep. Yes. We were worshiping at the, at the altar of convenience and comfort. You know, a sacrifice for the kingdom for us used to be when we didn't get the parking place we wanted when we came to church or somebody right. was seated in our specific seat. Come on. And God in his mercy is beginning to awaken us. And I think the reality is we didn't trust the tools that had been placed in our hands. We were trusting politicians or the politicians we hoped were going to be put in place to secure our futures and our children's futures. And we don't worship politicians. And so God is awakening us to the tools that he's put in our disposal. Prayer does make a difference. If God's people will change our hearts, our problem is not the, the ungodly, the immoral, the pagan, whoever you imagine to be on the other side. I believe our greatest challenge is the indifference of the faithful. And if we will change our hearts, God will move heaven and earth to intervene on our behalf. So it's not a time of despair for me. It's a time of tremendous anticipation. Because I see people changing and waking up. There's people coming to church now that are glad to be engaged in church. I'm meeting all these new people that want to seek God. They don't see Him as a burden or an intrusion. And that brings great hope to me. Mm, it brings hope to me, too. And I'm wondering, you have this experience in just working with God's people for a long time, like I do. And one of the things that we noticed very early on, it's been a year now. I mean, a year since we've been locked down, a year since really these tyrannical mandates from governors and city officials have what you've said is exactly right. The isolation has resulted really in a weariness of spirit. And the church has an opportunity right now to get out in front of that. How do you see the role of the church as it relates to you? And I, I totally agree with you. We don't, we don't worship a politician, for goodness sake. You know, we, we get into all kinds of trouble when we forget who the, real, who the real king is, right? But how do you see the role of the church right now Moving forward, especially as we see ourselves, because I agree with you, there's a shaking happening, right? We're watching a lot of things happening in the church. We're watching a lot of people that we have followed for many years, at least I am, uh, wondering kind of what's going on. How do you see the role of the church going forward right now in the strengthening and encouragement of God's people here in the United States? Well, just one qualifier. We've, we may have both been in ministry a long time, but we started very, very young. Mm. That's true. <laughs> so we just we need that it's on the true. record for everybody that's listening. <laughs> but I, I think the role of the church right now is to speak the truth, perhaps more so than any time in my lifetime. 
and, and not just theoretical truth, not abstract to truth that we carve out of the pages of Scripture, but truth where it intersects with the culture that we live in right now. We've got to speak truth about the world we're living in. Otherwise, we are theoretical, and we're easily silenced and pushed aside. And I think, I think part of the despair that I'm finding in people is there's disappointment in the church. To say church is like saying politician. Mm, We've been true. reluctant to say there's a great variance in what that means. And I'm not opposing anyone. I'm not throwing stones. I've spent my life working within the church and the church system. Mm-hmm. But we've we've recognized some churches have remained asleep and they're not awake. And so to anyone listening, find a place where there's truth being told and people are in pursuit of the truth and embracing the truth for themselves, not casting stones at other people. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in Isaiah, there's a verse that says that truth has stumbled in the streets and righteousness stands at a distance. And that feels like such an accurate description right now. I think one of the reasons there's so much despair is we don't know who to whom to trust any longer. We don't really trust the CDC. We've lost a great deal of faith in the FBI. We don't trust our our processes that help put officials in places of power and authority. We have lost a tremendous amount of trust. And if our Christian leaders are reluctant to speak the truth because of the pushback that will come or the criticism that might emerge, it's adding to the despair. But there are many lights and you find those people. I mean, Heidi's doing a great job. You've, you've got an audience that's that's listening to you and anxious for you to speak because they are desperate to hear the truth. It's a tremendous opportunity. We are not powerless. The, the same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, that spirit is alive and well within us. Do not give your attention to what the darkness is doing. Don't give your heart and your thoughts to all the garbage that's coming to us through the the media and the reporting. Spend your time thinking about what God has said He will do in us and through us and around us. And if we're in a school that's dark or an office that's dark or a community that's dark, we've been put there to be the light. Let's not rage against the darkness. Let's turn up the light. God will respond to His people. He always has, and He will in this season. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's so important for us to know that we have the ability to speak the truth inside of us because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and also that we don't have to be victims of the fear that we've seen, right? I mean, you've probably, like I have, seen the spirit of fear settle over us, over the world, really, because Satan's at work in the world, not just in the United States, but really settled over the world like a cold, wet blanket, and yet we know right from the Apostle Paul, that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And yet so many of God's people in the culture right now are afraid. They're afraid to speak the truth. So how, when you, when you say, hey, if you're in a dark community or you're in a dark school system, you need to be the light. How do we do that effectively when we feel we're surrounded by darkness and maybe we're afraid to be the light? Well, I think first of all, we recognize it as an assignment. You know, if I said we were going to go play a football game, 
And I came off the field after the first play and said, you know, those other people out there were mean to me. It would reflect a total lack of awareness of the nature of the contest I was in. And I think we've had such affluence and so many blessings and so much freedom that we've really lost perspective on in the nature of the contest we're in. You know, my Bible says that we're in a wrestling match with persons without bodies in Ephesians chapter 6. And I think the underlying challenge before us isn't ideological or political or even international. It's spiritual. And, in, in, you know, in the context of fear specifically, I've learned to think of fear as a person. It's just a person without a body. And if I left the office this afternoon, there was somebody seated in my car and they said, you know, I think I'm going to take this car. I promise you I wouldn't just concede the point. Well, you know, here, take my gas card too. Um, and I think when I recognize fear, I've learned to speak to it and say, you're not welcome here. In Jesus' name, you have to go. And if it's something that I feel has a deep seat in that circumstance, I'll find volume appropriate with my emotional intensity. And I won't do it in the middle of the grocery store, but I'll find a way that doesn't cause me to be any more embarrassed than I normally embarrass the people around me. But I will speak to fear, and I have, I have seen it bring freedom to life after life after life. We don't have to live under fear. Now, there's natural fear. You know, I, my dad was a veterinarian. I grew up around horses. And if you have never been around a 1,200-pound animal with tremendous strength, there is some anxiety when you get locked in a 10-by-10 room with them. And I, I'm not afraid of horses any longer. I spent my life around them, but I still have respect for their strength. I won't walk up behind a horse. I don't know, jerk its tail and scream. Right. Yeah, bad idea. Yeah, th that's reckless. So I'm not encouraging people to be reckless. And there's a certain amount of respect for life and the challenges around us that are just expressions of wisdom. But beyond that is this unnatural fear that paralyzes us, that puts us in a place where we can't move, where we can't make a decision, where it, we become just, it's we're neutralized by it. And that does not come from God. And when I recognize that, I'll say in Jesus' name, you don't have any authority here. There's a, a woman that comes to church with me. She was a nurse, and she stopped me in the lobby before church a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, I've got a, a same-day procedure scheduled, and I've canceled it three times because I'm afraid. And she looked at me kind of sheepishly, and she said, you know, I work in the hospital. She said, I know it's stupid, but she said, I've still canceled it three times. And so I talked to her about fear of being a person. And I said, let's just treat this like a person that has intruded, and let's tell it him he has to go. And I said a little prayer, and we talked about how to repeat it. She came and found me in two weeks. And she said, it worked. I had the procedure. It was no problem, and I'm better. And for everybody listening, where fear has encroached on your life, you stand up and say, in Jesus' name, you've got no authority over my life. Now, if it's been there a while, it may take more than one visit. It's like changing a negative emotion. But you will find victory and peace. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so that I have hope for. When we recognize we're in a spiritual battle, that is wonderful news because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within every one of God's children in this world. And for us to, I wonder what it would look like. And I'm often having these these conversations. I was I just came back from Nashville and then I was at the Ark Encounter with my friend Ken Ham. And I'm speaking to audiences about the importance of understanding scripture and the power that God says is available to his people. And it's almost as if we have forgotten who we are. And I, I want to say, again, not to throw stones, but we have to be honest about the conversation. The church has not done a good job. 
really for generations in equipping God's people for the battle, right? We're, it's so easy to be a, tr- a Christian in church. It's much more challenging when we, when we take that faith outside of the four walls of the church or outside of the four walls of our home. And we're watching the people of God kind of faltering in that fact, right? Just saying, I don't know how to actually put feet to my faith. And you've done such a good job of saying, Hey, we speak to this in the name of Jesus. And my heart just leapt inside of me because there's power in it. And for people who are listening to this, maybe they're new to their walk of the Lord. There've been a lot of new people listening to the show since COVID. And I started talking about fear as a spirit and saying, Hey, this is how you control people. You scare them to death. And we've learned it's very easy to scare people, very hard to unscare them, right? I mean, all you got to do is go to the grocery store right now and you can still see, wow, we are living really now in a very unreasonable state of fear. But fear is a spirit. And once it attaches itself to you, boy, you it's hard to shake that thing loose. Explain to people who might be new to walking with the Lord, why do you say in the name of Jesus and why is that such a powerful thing to do? Well, the, the authority in our lives does not come because we join the right church or because my beverage list is the most appropriate or my wardrobe is holier than yours. The spiritual authority in my life comes because I'm under the authority of the creator of all things. And Jesus said we had the right to use his name. And so when I pray, I do it under the authority of Jesus' name, not under Alan's righteousness or Alan's holiness, because if I got mad in traffic this morning and lost it, my prayer life would be neutralized again. <laughs> Are you saying you're a human being? No, I hate to admit it, but yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. And so I can pray in Jesus' name, not as a formula, but a recognition that I'm under authority. We, we've misunderstood, I think, the, the whole the fundamentals of being a Christ follower. It's not about sitting in a building. You know, that's as goofy as me sitting in a gym makes me an Olympic athlete. Boy, I wish it would, though, don't you? It, yeah, amen <laughs> to that. But we are people under authority. I call Jesus Lord. And so I choose to adopt his authority over my worldview, how I see relationships, how I see my behaviors. And that's an ongoing thing in my life. I, I'm continuing to work that into my life. But because of that, I have the confidence then that his authority is what protects me. Mm-hmm. And so when I pray, I'm not praying based on Alan's goodness or my knowledge of Scripture or my years of service. You know, I'm coming in Jesus' name to the creator of heaven and earth and making a petition or standing it when I recognize something is wicked or evil. I don't come again in my physical strength. You know, I come and say, in Jesus' name, you have to go. You have to yield that place. You have no authority there. A police officer doesn't stop traffic when he lifts his hand because he, the car is afraid that he would damage the car. It's the authority behind the officer, which police officers may not be a good example right now. I have an idea. All the politicians that think police officers should wear body cameras, all the politicians should wear cameras. Oh, boy, I love that. Well, I said a couple months ago, how about uh, the teachers in the public schools also start wearing cameras, right? We can work this out. Yeah, we can work it out. out. Yeah, absolutely. And we're watching families now, right, in in the middle of the Rona, their kids are home. And they're schooling at home and we're seeing teachers saying, no, I don't want the parents listening to what I'm saying. Well, I, I think, boy, that's an affront against parents for one thing. And it lets us know maybe something a little bit more nefarious than reading, writing and arithmetic happening in our schools. Absolutely. 
If the if the students have to have exams, the teachers need to be open for review as well. That's exactly right. Boy, wouldn't wouldn't that be something? But even there, you know, this is something we talk about here a lot at the show. It's the spiritual battle, right? The spiritual battle that the that the Apostle Paul says that we're facing right now in Ephesians six, and we've seen this all throughout Scripture, right? It's this, this is the Garden of Eden with when Satan tempts Eve and says, "You will not surely die," right? Satan been lying to human beings since the beginning of time. We're watching the battle. Now, I think for many people going, oh, my goodness, I had no idea it was in the government. Oh, I had no idea. We just think of it. Oh, it's a church thing. We put on our armor and isn't that sweet? But really, it's not the responsibility of the pastor. You, you can speak to this directly. I'd love to know what you say, because I've been telling listeners for years and years here, you know, I've, I've been raising seven children for 30 years and I've told listeners here, listen, it's not the pastor's job to suit you up for war. That's your job. You can't pass on what you don't possess. We wonder why we're struggling right now. And yes, we can lay we can lay quite a bit of it at the feet of the church who's gotten woke or gotten asleep. They're either, we're either so woke that our brains have fallen out or we're sleeping. We don't understand the nature of the battle that we're engaged in. But it's not the responsibility ultimately, right, of the pastor to suit us up for war. We need to engage in God's word every day. In reality, in most churches, the pastor is an employee of a board or a presbytery or someone, there's somebody that sets boundaries. Now, there's exceptions to that, but that's typically the rule. It isn't about throwing stones, because I think the more accurate way to understand it for me is I think about McDonald's. There's one group of people that says, McDonald's is the reason I'm fat. You know, they make these quarter pounders with cheese and they put all this stuff in them. And then there's this little factor where you happen to go by there every day and you supersize it when you order it. And so McDonald's is not inherently evil as an occasional treat. I think it's probably um, one of God's gifts in our lives. And we've been that way a little bit with the church, I think. You know, the pastor doesn't do what I need him to do, but the reality is there's a responsibility on the side of the consumer. And until we get that synergy right and have a passion on both sides of the equation, the church does remain inert. You know, when you're asleep, that's not an evil place. It's just you're unaware, you're uninvolved, and you're unconcerned. And that's what we've been for far too long. And now that we're waking up, people are getting a little anxious. You know, they're putting fences around the Capitol building and bringing out the National Guard because those crazy evangelicals are waking up. And you're right, we are. We're not waking up to violence. We're waking up to the authority we have in the Constitution. The First Amendment means something to us. And we will not yield that ground quietly. Someone sacrificed. There have been many lives given. So you and I have lived in freedom to raise families, to live our lives. And those are being encroached upon now, and our children and grandchildren will lose those freedoms if we don't use our simple voices that they tell us are irrelevant to say, no, we believe those are truths that are self-evident, and they are inalienable rights given to us by God, and we're here to see that you don't take them away from us. And that's more than sitting in church and singing hymns. So I love the fact that you're involved in running for Congress. We'll do more than pray. We'll find a way to add some momentum to that. It's an important season for the church. We've got to get out of the church building. We've wanted the approval of our culture more than we've wanted to be pleasing to God. We've spent more time building bridges with the ungodly than we have teaching our children to fear the Lord, to respect Him, and to reverence Him. But God in His mercy is giving us a new season. They told us if we go home for two weeks, we could come back out and be normal. I don't know whatever that place was we left, but we're never going back there. So we've landed on a new beach, and we're going to build a new beachhead, and we're going to tell a new story with new authority. 
And we're going to see Jesus honored in ways we've never seen him in our lifetime. I am not in any way discouraged. I have a greater sense of anticipation for what's ahead of us than any time in my spiritual journey. I hope you're enjoying this interview with my friend, Alan Jackson. I don't know about you, but just listening to him is calming me down. (laughs) Are you guys feeling that way? I really am. And I'm so glad he's here. I think it's a message that we need to hear today, probably more now than we've ever needed to hear it. So I hope you guys are encouraged. Tomorrow, I'm going to go ahead and air part two of that interview. And if you hadn't heard me say it already, I'm going to be in Rogers, Arkansas this weekend for the Teach Them Diligently conference. Come on out and say hello. Hello, you guys are, I just, I know that I know that I know that God is at work and he's working in your hearts right now and in the culture. And you guys are a big part of that. You're a big part of the support that we have going for the podcast. If you guys would like to get involved in supporting this podcast, uh, you can do that by going to the show notes today. I want to say thank you to Wendy from Spencerville and Laura from Suffolk for your support of this ministry. It is such an encouragement and a blessing to us. We could not do this without you guys. So thanks for listening today. And I hope you'll come back tomorrow for even more encouragement for my friends friend Alan Jackson with me here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.